Welcome to the Dignity of Women, where we dig deep into the vocation and dignity of women in the church, in modern times, and as an answer to the call for a new evangelization. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Joining me today is Steve Picorni, who is the author of Redeemed Vision, Setting the Blind Free from the Pornified Culture. Steve is the founder of Freedom Coaching, a one-on-one mentoring system designed to break the attraction to pornified images. After struggling with this compulsion for more than 12 years, by the grace of God, he was set free. Now, Steve helps others to embrace their true identity as beloved sons and daughters of God and to live as a gift for others. And you can learn more about this at freedom-coaching.net or on Instagram at redeemed underscore vision. Thank you for joining us today, Steve. It's an honor to be with you, Kimberly. And I want to say that this book is truly incredible. I read, oh, I mean, the entire beast of a book. It's almost 500 <laughs> pages. 460. And, um, <laughs> it's overwhelming when, when you first see it, but it is such an easy read and so intriguing, especially the way that you weave in your own experience and your past. Uh, that was so compelling for me. I found myself... Uh, you know, constantly wanting to get to the next part of your story amidst the quality information in between. But I love the way that you weaved that together. Thank you. Um, as any author would say, uh, no, no work is as the work is only as good as his editors are. And so I've had many editors. This is a 14 year project. And my wife, uh, who is the midwife of this project, said it was the hardest delivery she's ever had in her whole life, <laughs> but very well worth it. Oh, wow. That is saying a lot. And amen to editors. I completely <laughs> agree with that. So I want to dig right in. And um, I want to address first and foremost, the father wound, because that was kind of what you led in with. And Steve and I, I should say, knew each other briefly at our time at Franciscan University, but I knew nothing about your past. And it is really a tough past that you had. Um, Your father attempted suicide when you were young, and that attempted suicide left him with a lot of uh, brain damage, I guess you could say, where he wasn't allowed to to live in the home. He had to live at an outside facility, and therefore you weren't really able to have that relationship that a son would hope for with his father. And as you know uh, very well, probably from working with so many men, that fatherhood, um, the lack of a father, that father wound in the family is devastating to young men. So how would you say that that affects your clients or men who are struggling with pornography? Sure. And I would even go further and I want to clarify it for our listeners that this is not just a male issue. This is a male and female issue. Um, I've worked with female clients. Uh, They say the estimates are between one third to one half of viewers of visually stimulating pornography are women. And a lot of this does go back to where we're at uh, in, in the in society today, right? We're, we're growing up. I think I like to say that my kids are, um, are minorities in that they have a father and mother in the home, their biological father and mother in the home. And that's about at least no more than 45% of Americans. And again, 
above and beyond that, you know, perhaps in, in Europe and beyond. And so this plays a big part in here. And, and the, the heart of what we're looking for, if you take to a, a spiritual level, right, we want to know our origin. We want to know our destiny. We want to know why we're here. And it's our parents, our father and mother that are supposed to help fill in those details for us in a very real sense. Um, our parents are God to us, right? They bring us into existence. They, they reveal to us what the meaning of life is, what that, what's taught to us or what is not taught to us. And then they kind of um, are supposed to provide for us that intimacy that we're looking for. And if we don't get that from our God, shall we say, from father and mother, don't misunderstand me here. We're, we're talking about in a, on a human level here. Um, but then it's going to be very hard to perceive our heavenly father. Okay. The one where obviously is our ultimate origin and destiny. And for myself growing up without that father, by the time of I was five years of age, um, there was a lot of depression going on. I mean, I was raised Catholic, but um, it was very, very hard. And I see in, in the clients I work with, right, um, a lot of those wounds going on here, a lot of those that's searching, they're trying to figure out what is my identity, what is life really all, all about, how am I supposed to live this out? And especially when our feelings become eroticized, right? As we hit our hormones, then um, this um, this search goes into you know if we aren't aren't secure in our own identity, aren't secure in the love that we should have gotten from our father and mother, then what ends up happening is we may go looking in the arms of of other people, right? And and before that, because. Uh, pornified images are everywhere. These are images that are trying to get it, to get us to to use another human being, um, to, and, and in a selfish sexual manner, um, we may find ourselves trapped here. And instead of finding the true intimacy that we're looking for, we get sucked into this, and and it's false intimacy, and we end up empty with this shame and guilt that's very present, and it affects all of our relationships. And I have to say that I was shocked recently and before even your book, but in the past few years to find not only how prevalent pornography was in our culture, but especially among women. I always assumed that pornography was a male issue, a male problem. And beyond that, I guess my idea of pornography was uh, these men who were creepy, you know, um, kind of it lurking in the shadows, uh, lonely. And, you know, you have this mask that you put on to a certain sin and you assume that um, the person wearing it is the only person who could be, you know, behind that sin. And so I think your book really brings to light how prevalent it is in households and especially among very young boys and girls that are seeing this. I mean, this is starting at the single digit ages. And I know you said particularly, and I quote from your book, we are literally rewiring women to become more like broken men. And that quote really stuck out to me um, because again, with we've seen this kind of revolution of pornography being okay for women with the popular 50 shades of gray and and some other um popular pornographic movies and books geared specifically towards women and i think a lot of people who maybe were blind to this would say well that's never going to sell you know or that's never going to um women aren't going to respond to this and then the shock of seeing how well those 
you know, that media and that the books did, it kind of, you know, for me, it opened my eyes that we're women are not just um, struggling with pornography in the sense of, you know, maybe like more soft porn through words or these, you know, beautiful romance novels or that kind of, you know, get edgy, but it's much Absolutely. more than that. And in fact, um, even more, and I didn't, I did not talk about it in the book there, but a lot of the, you have especially um, the creation of, of video pornography are actually female directors. Um, and that may sound shocking, but it's, you know, if, if the programming has been that, you know, in order for a woman to really be a woman, this is the message given off by a lot of the um, false feminism of our, of our culture, um, is that in order for a, a woman to get the love and attention she looks like has to be like the other men that she sees. And a lot of those men she sees are broken. And so if, if men are into pornography, then women should be there as well. It's equal opportunity, equal playing field. Um, and again, obviously, this does not uphold the dignity of woman. Why? Because at the heart of a woman is not this desire to want to be seen as sexy. She wants to be seen as loved. She wants to be loved and cared for and cherished. But when she looks around the world and sees only men acting as, as boys, or shall we say boys walking around in men's bodies, then inevitably, for a lot of them, if they're not secure in their identity, they settle. They settle on thinking that this is what what men are. That you know, if I'm, I inevitably, if I want to get, if I want to get the love and attention I need to, then I need to be like the women that are 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 posing in in pornography publications or online or in videos, or I need to settle with a guy who is involved with pornography. And this itself is is crippling to an identity. And it comes back to the identity of who woman is. Woman is one who one of her great gifts, the, one of the geniuses of woman as John Paul, the great would talk about is this ability to receive love and to her, to conceive life and to bear that life and love to the world. And obviously that can work on the physical level, right? With a new child, but it's also on the spiritual and the intellectual and the emotional level where my, like for instance, on the good, my wife takes something that I do, and makes it better. In our household, the phrase is, um, without Steve, nothing gets done. Without Valerie, nothing gets done well. And so my wife right, creates something profoundly beautiful. But in the, on the flip side here, if, if, they're called to receive, if women are called to receive a genuine gift and they look around the landscape and it seems like men, no men they see, starting with their father, aren't proposing genuine gifts, but there is this innate desire it's planted in there by god then i'm going to go looking elsewhere to try to get some semblance of it even if i know if i'm honest it's a counterfeit it's better to have something and be comfortably miserable than to have nothing and be empty and i'll be alone and this is the terror of the heart i mean that whole notion especially as i speak to very young group to, to young groups in middle school or high school this fear of missing out right i don't want to miss out of the relationship i know that what they're they're involved with is bad but you know at least i have something at least i'm i'm around a group and and i think social media helps to um, you know promote this even further not to say that social media is bad, we're using it now, but we have to look at what that's about. And then obviously into adult adult females with, you know, looking at 50 shades of gray, because this has been normalized, we've normalized our relationships as being pornified. We think that this is what's all about. I mean, and, and we see just exam one other example, right? If we, any, any movies we're seeing, 
within the first three episodes, if it's a serial on a, on a TV uh, series, then by the third episode, the, the main couple, maybe they went on one date, but they're sleeping with each other. This is a pornification. And these things have programmed us. And then, and then because we've been um, neutralized in the sense of like what is um, not as exciting, then we have to ramp it up. More and more skin has to be shown. And, and here, it's not the appropriate way of showing the body, but it steals our joy. And um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the word settle, because speaking from a collective women's voice in our culture right now, what I hear time and time again is settle. Either um, she feels that she needs to settle to find happiness or to, you know, marry somebody ultimately because the right person's not coming along or settle with being alone uh, because she isn't finding that hero, you know, that heroic male. And I think uh, the same thing with men. A lot of men are not interested in pursuing a woman to marry. And I think especially with the influence of pornography on our culture, most women's bodies are altered in pornography. So men are holding that up as their norm. And women in the same hand are striving to achieve that physical reality in their own bodies, which is anything, anything but real. And this is slavery on both sides. It's a false ideal. And as you said, is this helping build no. up the dignity of <laughs> women? the definitive answer. And if you look at from this perspective, I didn't even mention this in the book, but like the, the old Playboy, Playboy bunny models, right? Um, I, I want to say old. They're still out, I guess, uh, through Playboy. Um, but you have – think of an ordinary bunny, right? They're cute, fuzzy rabbits that are um, household, you know, pets. Um, but they also, you know, on contact can, um, can get pregnant. And then six months later, after they deliver, you know, the first baby, um, they can get pregnant again, uh, six, six weeks later, excuse me, not six months. Um, and, but the ironic thing about Playboy is all the women that we're seeing, a vast majority of them are sterilized either, either temporarily, um, through the contraceptive pill or permanently sterilized. And we have to ask the question, is this a good, if we have to change somebody based on who they really are, is that loving? And we have to say no, because we have to learn how to, how to accept a woman for who she is. And this brings to one of the main points in the book that what pornof- pornography is doing, what the pornified culture is doing to us is blinding us. It's keeping us from actually seeing each other as persons. And in, if we can't see each other's persons, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to enter into the genuine relationships we want. If you think from a woman's perspective, again, I have a wife and two daughters and one in heaven, so I'm surrounded by women and learning how to love women. It is relationship that is the most important thing. It is that belonging, that that sense of, of connection, of closeness that women want. And, and I would argue that men want that as well, um, except we may, might express it differently. And and if we're inhibited from this, from the, the cultural milieu of pornography, of being, being failing to see each other in that same vision and even beyond that vision of what Adam and Eve had from the beginning, that divine vision, then if we recognize this in ourselves, we need to cry out like the blind man Bartimaeus, I want Lord Jesus, Master, I want you to see. And if we do this, if we enter into this, 
He is going to give us a redeemed vision, but oftentimes he's going to allow the things that we've gotten into to kind of um, to grow so that we see our, we see how much, how far we are from that. And this, this, so we feel very carefully and, and very intimately the pain here and know something's missing. I am made for more. And coming from the feminist movement myself, my idea was always that I could dress or act any way I chose. And if a man couldn't handle the way he processed that, it was his problem. And that attitude is certainly part of the problem. But you address the compulsion of porn as changing not only the way men see women as objects, the way they view themselves as incapable of healthy relationships, but also in a paradoxical catch-22 Pornography changes the way women view themselves, particularly in adolescence. And I think this resonates with almost every woman who's probably hearing this, feeling ugly, unworthy, not physically attractive. I mean, these could be the most beautiful women. Um, You know, many of us have had friends or struggled with ourselves where we just feel like, uh, wow, this this friend of mine is so gorgeous and she kind of has everything going for her. How in the world can she see herself as ugly and, you know, look at these magazines or, or watch these movies and feel like she needs to change her hair, change, wear more makeup or, or change her body or lose 10 pounds. Or, I mean, it seems like women, um, so often, especially in adolescence, are constantly trying to change their bodies and where that doesn't just come from, an internal, you know, cry for something more to want to change yourself. It's quite the opposite, what God planted internally within us. And so I think it's it's pretty sad looking back on that feminist movement. Um, it was all about this unity, but really there was no union. There was no communion. It was very destructive in that sense. And what we were trying to protect um, – you know, this, this freedom, this femininity, it actually was slavery, destroying Indeed. femininity. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, and I think mm-hmm. especially if, as we see, I mean, I'm, we're very conscious, uh, conscious of this, you know, having daughters and I, you know, the, this mission is very near and dear to my heart because raising daughters, my daughters currently are uh, about eight and six years of age. Um, they're going to, you know, we can control things in our home, but you know, to a, to a very real extent, but they're, they're out at school, right? They have playmates and they're going to talk. And especially the fact that, you know, especially if, 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 the average age of exposure to pornography is between eight and 11 years of age. Well, my daughter's going to be around people very soon who are doing this. And, um, and, and especially if, if she's interested in a boy as normally it's going to, it's going to come up here. It's, it would be a rare thing if that boy had not seen pornography and that's going to affect the way those relationships come up and the way she views herself. Um, and, and again, a lot of this, as you just mentioned, coming from the, the culture, the idea of freedoms to do whatever I want. No, that's called license. We're, we're, we're called the freedom for excellence, but many times because our, our, our culture says it's laissez-faire, do whatever you want. There is no standard whatsoever. The only standard is whatever. And in our heart of hearts, we want more. We want something more. We want it. And, and for, a, for a woman to be seen as beautiful, as good, to be worthy of affection, and also to know that somebody's going to fight for them and win their heart and continually win their heart. But that's not the message of pornography. Pornography is that of to take, to abuse, to enslave. 
Right. And I want to bring this around to redeemed vision and how what you talk about in your book, you know, especially getting towards the end when you talk about setting the blind free from the pornified culture, because the big question I think that is in the hearts of many people that are enslaved by pornography that suffer from this compulsion to pornography is will I ever be free of this? Is it possible to be free? Or is it just, as you talk about in your book, a management system, you know, and all of these uh, things that they might be hearing, like, well, just don't look at it. Just don't do it. Just count the days or whatever. And I think it's important to clarify, first of all, that natural attraction in this way is not bad. You say, in your book that it's the raw material for true conjugal love and that a person is a gift. And for us to turn away from beauty is not the answer to turn away from a beautiful woman or something that attracts us. This is not the answer. And I think that so often we hear these kind of band-aid solutions as the answer to pornography. And I, I think it's different than just telling an alcoholic not to go into a bar. This is a much different animal. So can you explain how you work with your clients and how for your own self, you um, you really worked, especially through art, divine art, to become free of this by yeah, let me let me give a little story. Okay, and I talk about this in the, in the book. I think it's chapter eight. Um, there's uh, chapter nine. There's um, a nine year old boy was at a park, and the park um, at the park he's with his, with his family. Um, he finds a um, he finds a picture of a gentleman's club, an advertisement. There's two naked women in this, and he immediately drops the picture. He didn't even touch it. Actually, uh, goes to his older sister and says, "I found a yucky picture." And the older sister go, says, go talk to your, your older brother. And he does. And the older brother says, okay, show it to me. So he goes to, with his, he does. And the older brother immediately takes it and rips it up and throws it away and says, you don't need to be looking at it. And for a vast majority of us who would people, you know, uh, anybody in before the, um, before uh, the internet, basically we would have taken that image and we would have hit it. It would have been like buried treasure. And so we got to ask the question, why did that boy, how is a boy able to do that? How was the older brother able to rip it up immediately? It was because they had been raised in an environment where the body, and specifically the naked human body, was normalized to actually see the human body for who and what the, the, the body is. Because the truth is way more interesting. The truth is way more beautiful. But the way in which we've been programmed, we've been programmed the other way. We've been programmed to think that pornography is beautiful. We've been programmed to think that the ordinary human body, the ordinary naked human body is like bad porn. And this is the counterfeit. And these are the images and these are the ideas that are being just proliferated everywhere. And you've got a lot of Christians who have bought into this. Well, the beautiful thing here is um, we have some answers for that. Okay. Because the church is not afraid of the body. Why? Because God created the body. The body is good. And we also want to say is our vision is good. We are created to see. We're not created to stick our heads in the sand. And when we are trained to actually see beauty, to be programmed into what is real beauty, to be able to see the body as God has created us to do this. What, what happens is pornography becomes a like a mosquito, an annoying mosquito or lustful images, or even somebody trying to get us to lust after them. It's like an annoying mosquito. And one of the beautiful treasures of the church that in, has been covered over 
pun intended, um, in many of our churches or not even revealed in our churches is sacred art, particularly art where the body is exposed appropriately. So it can be it can be regular art, right? You have the birth of Venus, for instance, by Venus de Milo, right? Showing yes, there's a naked woman there, but it's not pornography. Or you have the David, one of the most glorious statues everywhere, being able to see the glory of the of the human body, of the male human body, and no one in their right mind calls that pornography. And there because there's strict distinctive notions of what is beauty, of radiance, of wholeness, of, of balance in those images that fails to be present in pornified images. And when we, and then on the on the religious side, right, we have tons of these beautiful images, especially of our lady breastfeeding Jesus. And this is a beautiful in, insight into the goodness of the body because take the issue of pornography. Most men are have been programmed by the time they're at least eight years old, that a woman's breasts are for his pleasure. And that's the lie. No, women's breasts are beautiful, but they're also functional. And But if we've never had the opportunity even to see, to be trained in this, to look with in, in a good way, in a healthy way, with healthy images, we're going to fall for the counterfeit. But here's the good news. If we have been programmed by the counterfeit, we can be reprogrammed. There are things in our brains called neural pathways where we can change the neural pathways and learn how to see. And it's specifically using art, using sacred art that is one of the main means of doing this. And what happens in seeing true beauty and being programmed this, there's not guilt and shame, Kimberly. There is joy. There is beauty. And even more, we're looking for intimacy. Well, guess what? Those Ones, especially in sacred art that, that um, we see there, we can actually have a relationship with them, that the word made flesh and the mother of the word incarnate, we are able to have a relationship with, to enter into, into conversation with them, but also enter into union with them, beginning here on earth, beginning in holy mass. So this is a profound mystery. And if we have not been having these images in our homes or images in our churches, well, guess what? Uh, may I be a rallying cry for you in your, in your life, but first off in your heart, come to learn how to see. And in seeing, we will be set free to love. And I have to say that this is just profound. The idea to use sacred art to retrain the brain from this pornified idea is beautiful. It's absolutely stunning, especially as somebody who studied art for many, many years and has been to the Vatican and seen mm -hmm. the Sistine Chapel and all of Michelangelo's glorious works in Italy. Um, there is something at the core of your being that comes alive when you see that. And I thought it was funny that you said one of the remedies, and I was kind of waiting through the whole book for what you were going to say. And when you got to the sacred art as the cure, and you said even to spend five to 10 minutes a day gazing upon the beauty of the image of Mary breastfeeding Jesus, which is an image that I've um, only come to know since having kids and, you know, came to discover this and see it as truly beautiful. And I've encountered many women through my journey that even giving birth mm. to children are just unable to allow themselves to breastfeed because they feel like their breasts are not for that, or it feels disgusting or dirty to them. And 
even a quick story about a friend, a Protestant friend who was in her, um, you know, in her Sunday service and she was covered up breastfeeding her child during the service. And the pastor called her out in the middle of the service and said, we all know what you're doing under there. And, you know, she was just utterly shocked, like I'm nursing my child. Um, so I think that, yes, we, we've become so portified that it's, it's distracting even sometimes to people when you're nursing your child, it's almost like you're trying to, uh, turn them on or something. And I I feel like that in essence is the real perversion, you know, that to show a, a nursing mother, to see her in anything other than nurturing her child is just such a perversion of our culture. So I just found it incredible that one of your remedies was for a man to spend five to 10 minutes a day gazing upon um, that image. It's now, profound. how um, have men let responded me, let me share, uh, when you recommended that? that um, I, I have the privilege of working with some of the most broken um, I only work with those who are are ready to go to work. I don't want somebody I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to fight with. They 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 know they're broken. They need help. Um, and we especially go through their history. And it's like I like to call it wading through a septic tank. It's just ugly. I don't I don't like doing it. But there's a lot of healing that happens there because we work on repairing left and right brain. We repair the emotions. Um, and it's just it's dark. It's not fun. It's uh, but but there's healing that happens in that. But as we transfer over to this whole discussion on vision and how to see the body and the, um, and just the lies about what we're actually capable of. And that through the truth is that by grace, we can see and see with love. And it's not, it's not trying to put ourselves in, into an occasion of sin, but really putting ourselves in the occasion of genuine beauty. Um, the lights come on, Kimberly, it is profound. I mean, I, cause I'm, I'm, there's such darkness in the beginning and then the light bulbs come on and they're like, Oh my gosh. Or shall we say most reverently, Oh my God, I have been looking for this in all of these false images my whole life. And now here it is. And these chains, like, like what happened to me, these chains hit the, hit the floor. I mean, I see men, grown men, strong men break down, crying, weeping in beauty because They've been lied to their whole life. And then in, in entering in and bringing this, like, especially one of the things I, I, I talk to people about is, uh, and this may challenge some of our listeners, but I, I, I bear is listening to, to in, if we're one of the things we can do along with the vision piece, right. And being Catholic, one of the most beautiful things that we have is the, is, is obviously the sacrament of the Eucharist, but Eucharistic adoration where the naked Christ is exposed to us. And this is exactly how he wants to be. He wants to be naked and vulnerable and open to us. So literally in adoration, going there and um, literally calling up these pornified images. Christ has already been there when we were in the room using pornography lustfully. So why not go and bring those up consciously, give them over to him. So in spiritual chemotherapy, he can burn them away, create new neural pathways by seeing this, right? And and, in, in, in adoration, it's a safe place to do that. And then as an added bonus, right? We bring these images of our of Maria Lactanes, of Mary breastfeeding Jesus. We bring those to adoration as well. And, and in here, it's a family affair and being able to see. So as we are letting go of the false images of, especially of a woman's body, we're being inundated with the true images of the body. And when we do this 
in practice, I like to say this in classroom work, okay, and maybe chapel will be your classroom, we're able to go out to the world, which is the point. It's like you're getting your degree, right, in school and going out to the world and serving the world. We're able to look at all people with love. And this is what we're called to. And it is the sight of a man who can really see, that can penetrate, have a penetrating gaze into the eyes of Every woman, a woman who may be looking down or looking down on herself or a woman who thinks she's all that, to penetrate with truth, with light, with love, they can move her heart to conversion, move her heart to recognize her own dignity, her worth, her value. And this is how we change the world, right? If it's Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, you know, smile. Well, if you want to change the world in this day and age where we were, it's not too far off from where Mother Teresa was. Learn how to see, because it's only by learning how to see will we learn how to love. And the world needs this love more than anything. It needs this redeemed vision. Well, I want to thank our guest, Steve Picorni, the author of Redeemed Vision. Again, you can find Steve at Freedom dash coaching.net or on Instagram at redeemed underscore vision. And I hope that what he shared today is just a little open door to the hope that there is in reclaiming the honor, vision Thank you so much. from God bless. the pornified culture and setting the blind free. Thank you, Steve.